Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. What are you waiting for? Breakfast in bed? Another glorious day in the Corps. Day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation a parade. I love the Corps! Where's Basket? <sighs> Let's rock! Final report of the commercial starship Nostromo. Third officer reporting. The other members of the crew, Kane, Lambert, Parker, Brett, Ash, and Captain Dallas are dead. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, signing off. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Dan Prater, and I'm joined by hosts... Patrick Green, what up, guys? And it's been a long time. We are kind of uh, back in a reset. It's just me and Patrick. Um, We're kicking it old school. Yeah, way old school. Uh, We haven't had a... Perfect organism episode that's just been you and me in a long time, and we yeah, felt like with uh, forty miles of bad road, this new series, this ten part plus maybe series on aliens, that it was time to kind of get back to the basics and talk about this movie that we love. Yeah, I, I love how we started off with like, with like you know, you made the announcement that says ten parts, and then it's like within five minutes, I was like, oh shit, we got to do this episode. Oh, it's it's going to be three thousand parts long, and that's okay because it's fucking aliens, and we can talk about it forever. Um, and it's, we're so excited about this. There's going to be so much interaction with you guys on building better worlds. We're going to be asking for a lot of feedback. Connor's going to be running a lot of that stuff. So get involved, be a part of the series. There's a lot to come. Absolutely. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's again, we kind of decided we were talking, we, we talk about aliens a lot. There's, we've said this before in discussions. There's a lot of people who reference aliens all the time. If anything, if you go in the groups, building better worlds, AVP galaxies forums, um, if you go in those groups, everyone's always referencing aliens or Vasquez or that kind of time period. And so it's so it's so much in public consciousness or fandom consciousness that we I never thought about discussing it. But then as we were talking, I thought we need to actually investigate this film and why this film is the film that it is and the effects right. that it has on us as fans, on on the movie industry on the genre, on the science fiction, um, everything. We needed to uh, investigate everything, and that's why we're here. Hello. Ripley. You okay? Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. 
Not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Because of all the movies, I think Aliens has had the broadest cultural impact. I, I really do. I think Alien is probably the most sort of important, you know, in, the, in those ways, I guess, in, in terms of, like, cinema history. And it's, it's my favorite. But I think Aliens has had such a broad sweeping impact on popular culture and on things like the, uh, the notions of, of, you know, female heroes in action films. Like, that's a huge um, impact that I think Aliens really brought out um, in terms of effects, in terms of what you can do with science fiction. It's just had a, such a far-reaching impact, and I can't wait to look at it on a small scale and break it down and look at the actual micro moments that made it what it is. Because like you said, it's sort of become more than a movie at this point. But at one point in time, it was just a movie that a bunch of people made. And I can't wait to explore that process more and to break down my presumptions about what happened and question them and see like what actually was the process. And I think tonight's episode is going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to that, we have a couple of people we want to give a shout out to. Yeah, so we want to shout out to our new patrons, Lady Anne, PhD. She's our new patron, and she's been so great. She messaged us. She uh, gives to our show on a monthly basis. Huge, huge fan. She loved what we did with Proximity, uh, and we're working on uh, another installment of that as well. Um, we also want to give a shout out to Stefan Bischoff. Thank you so much for your patronage. What you guys give to us, we're able to essentially give back to you. And every time that I see we get a new patron, which isn't that often because it's pretty small, but it's growing steadily. Every single time I see that, I get actual chills. I'm like, there are people out there who care enough about what we're doing to support it with their money because it's it's a hard world to live in. Like, you know, money doesn't come easily. And for somebody to take $2 out of that every month or $25 out of that every month is um, it's not wasted in, in terms of resources or in terms of our hearts. Like, it's something that really means a lot. So I, I just personally, on behalf of both of us and the whole team, thank you so much for your support and for believing what we do and for supporting it. Um, and every single time you give to this program and to this network of podcasts that we're putting out, um, we are more motivated than ever to give that back. So thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. So here we are talking about aliens. Um, but before we do that, we're going to talk about the shadow of alien in some ways. Like, how do you move on from alien? And Patrick's going to talk a little bit about kind of where we are at that point. Um, but before you actually go into that, I, I was thinking um, in terms of alien, it's, it's so interesting to talk about alien because we didn't see the first film first. Most of us saw the second film first. So we, it's kind of, it's this like, oh, this is the beginning. It, we kind of experienced Alien like it was a prequel, which is so interesting because that's... Well, I, I did not have that experience, I know, but I know many people did. So I'm curious for you, how do you think that colored your perception of the first film? Um, for a long, long, long time as a teenager, I didn't watch... I saw the first film, I'm like, oh, okay... This is interesting, but I like Aliens better because there's more. Mm. It was character driven. I mean, certainly Alien is character driven as well, but the characters in Aliens are just different. They're just more 
alive, I would say. Not more alive, but there's just a different dynamic going on. There's a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood and camaraderie and family that isn't as present in Alien. Alien is a study. Alien is a methodical, cerebral study of almost like uh, claustrophobia and kind of that eighth passenger, what do you do when something is in your space that you can't find, and that sense of scientific exploration, um, like kind of that forbidden planet that I'm always talking about. So Alien was almost like, oh, the art house film. And Aliens is the blockbuster film. It took me a long, 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 long time to really come to a place where, even though Alien 3 is my favorite of the trilogy, Alien's my next favorite. Alien is really the tone that I'm looking for the most when I see an Alien film. It's interesting you bring up the the character in the ensemble because I it's 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 hard to talk about and I noticed as you were breaking it down you kept kind of checking yourself because you're right in Alien the characters are also really indelible and very alive in the ways they interact are very real but there's something different in Aliens in the characters in Aliens and I think part of it comes from the fact that in Alien none of them want to be there you know like they're all just kind of waiting to get home um, they aren't friends except for Parker and Brett. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there's kind of like weird little, you know, micro chemistries going on that, um, you know, through various versions of the script got kind of whittled away in terms of sexual tension and things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so they're all on a nightmare together and they sort of band together a little bit in that experience through the shared terror of that. But in aliens, these people live and breathe and die together. These are people who went through basic training they ended up in this military unit and we both have friends who have served in the armed forces and their bonds with people that they've served with are so deep. You know what I mean? I mean, they get matching tattoos. They call each other every day for support and things like that. There's a bond that you make when you choose to go to battle with somebody else, you know? And I think that part of why the, the characters in aliens are so unforgettable is because they, you really believe that. You really believe that they would willingly die for the survival of that unit, you know? And they signed um, and up for it. This is something that yes. they signed up for, whereas what you said with Alien, they none of them signed. I mean, these are just kind of regular Joes in space, like like everyone says, truckers mm-hmm. in space, waking up, doing their business. I mean, the last thing that they would ever thought they'd be doing is some fucking scientific exploration to some unknown right. planet and getting something. Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, Ripley's got Ripley's got to get home to her daughter. Yeah. Parker wants to just go home and party. They yeah. all they all want to they they just got they want to get back yeah. right, and they're and they're they're quibbling about the shares they're going to get and about you know these sort of like these like small little microaggressions. Whereas in Aliens, it, there's none of that. In Aliens, they sacrifice themselves to keep each other alive, and and that's something that I feel. You know, we 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 talked a little bit about this on the roundtable that we recorded that we'll be releasing after this episode comes out. But to me, part of what's powerful about Aliens, I'll make it brief because we've talked about it, is the sense of optimism that runs through the whole thing. And I think depending on where we are in our lives at different times, that resonates differently. So for me, when I was a kid, for a very long time, just like you, Aliens was my favorite of those two. Mm-hmm. Alien 3 wasn't even really on my radar until I was like a teenager. That was I just sort of like, I thought it was very scary and very weird and I wasn't really into it for a while, which is funny because now I'm obsessed with it. Um, but I saw Alien first, 
was became completely head over heels in love with it. And then I saw Aliens, and all of a sudden, that was all I cared about. And the Kenner toys were a huge part of my childhood, as we've talked about. This idea of exploring space was huge. I was very into Star Wars. I was very into a lot of those sorts of things. And Aliens fits more neatly into that paradigm, you know? And uh, so I feel like, for me, seeing Alien first, uh, it was interesting. It stuck with me. And then after I kind of grew up a little bit out of that sort of childhood phase and I saw Alien more for what it honestly was, I realized that that was a movie that actually was closer to my heart. And that allowed me, I think, that was kind of the key that unlocked Alien 3 for me because I was able to watch it for what it was and not what it wasn't, which was Aliens. And I think, in some ways, Aliens has cast such a huge shadow, and not in a bad way, but it's just such a monumental achievement in terms of box office returns, in terms of filmmaking success. It's just such a a hit. I mean, Empire Magazine, I think it was Empire Magazine, voted it the greatest sequel ever made, you know? And it's always put, you know, with Godfather Part Two, Terminator 2, Aliens, there's like a, a select number of sequels that, in some people's eyes, actually surpass the original. Um, and this was one of those movies. Anyway. And you have to toss it up to James Cameron. I mean, I know he gets some flack these days for Avatar and talking about making 1,500 sequels, um, even though he hasn't made one yet, and even though they're talking about it and they keep pushing the date up. And Titanic, which is an amazing uh, technical feat. Technologically, oh, yeah. Titanic is amazing. That's actually a really good film. I mean, it, it, it works really well. It's certainly not an art house film. It's very blockbustery. Um, it is a James Cameron film because that's who he is. That is right? who I he mean, is. That's, that's but the he, reality. He engineered two of the most two two of the most greatest sequels of all time: Aliens and Terminator yep. Two. That is hard to do. James Cameron is brilliant, and I don't care what anyone says. Even though I know that Avatar is essentially Fern Gully and all of these kind of stories. I do, honestly, I fucking hate Avatar. Um, I've, I've tried I actually it. enjoy it, I, uh, but I know really? what it is. I do. I mean, I don't enjoy it as high art. It's not high art. It's te- technologically amazing. It has nothing to say. Now, I think the sequels yeah. will probably be way better than the original because the, sequ- the original... The mind. The, the original, like we've discussed, is, is just kind of like, oh, look, you... These people need saving. White man, come save us, but look like one of us right. too. You know, um, right. same right. old story. Dances with wolves, <laughs> Fern Gully, very problematic. Um, mm-hmm. Elysium, directed by Blomkamp, had the same issue. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think, I do think that James Cameron's really smart, and I think if he were to step back into the into the aliens world, which he'll never do because he's going to be making Avatar films until he's dead. Um, but right. if he were to say, I'm putting Avatar on hold and I want to make an alien film, fuck yeah, I'm there. Oh my God. 100% confidence. 100%, oh, confidence. 100% confidence. confidence. I think that James Cameron knows who he is yeah. as an artist, and he has known that since he was in his 20s. And I think he fucking rocks it every single time, even if we disagree with him. And I, I, don't, I don't think Avatar is very good. Everything else that I've ever seen by him, including Piranha 2, The Spawning... <laughs> I think it's really well done. I agree, and I think you you have to you you don't look have to look any farther than the fact, and we'll get into this in a subsequent episode. But the fact that he shot the Terminator while he was writing the script to Aliens, two of the seminal pieces of science fiction in the 20th century. I mean, really, truly science fiction, you know, masterpieces. At the same time, as like a 30 something year old mm-hmm. um, Canadian dude who was a, an effects artist and got into filmmaking and made masterpieces after masterpieces and then came back and made Terminator 2 which which is way better than the original in my yeah, mind yeah um and uh and is another just completely just defining masterpiece yeah. of science fiction yeah 
Um, and it's anyway, interesting. So we're going to get much more into this. Yeah, thing. but I mean, to to step back a little bit, and I think about Alien, the the on the footsteps of Alien. Does it did it need a sequel? Was there se- when you finished Alien? Did you feel like oh, this needs a sequel? Even though I I know about Aliens, Alien didn't need a sequel. Alien was like Blade Runner. It was fine the way it was, and so you have totally. this woman drifting off into space. And you don't know where her her, but it because it was such an ensemble cast. She wasn't. She didn't feel like the Ripley that we know at the end of Aliens. Well, and also because her character, as we've talked about a little bit in the past on the Heroes episode, is so different in Alien versus Aliens. In Aliens, she becomes, I think, actualized as a hero. Whereas in Alien, she's self sufficient and she's brave and she's cunning and she's amazing. But the only really heroic thing, which I brought up last time we talked about this, is the fact that she goes back and saves Jones. And to me, that's like a moment of actual heroism in, in that film. Uh, yeah. But the reason the reason why we think of, of uh, yeah, true. <laughs> but the reason why we think of, of aliens as this like masterpiece of heroism is because Ripley is so incredibly badass in that movie, and she is, I mean, she makes so many hard decisions that are so valorous, and. Time and again, her medal is proven, and she just fucking saves the day. So there's a huge—I I mean, I think in terms of Ripley's relevance to pop culture, it would not be what it was without Aliens. But I do have to say, and follow up to what you were saying, um, I do—I at the end of Alien, I have zero desire to see more of it. I think it's a—I I think Alien is one of the is one of the few actual perfect films ever made. Even though there's some things that could theoretically be changed with better effects or something or better pacing. I think it's a perfect document. I think it is just a, it's like a gemstone. And those movies, just like Blade Runner 2019, as you mentioned, they don't need sequels, you know? And if you're going to do it, like Aliens and like Blade Runner 2049, it has to have something truly special to say, you know? Um, What's interesting, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is that they didn't have anything to say when they started fishing around for, (laughs) for an Alien 2. None of them did. Not Brandywine, not Ridley Scott, not Fox. And we'll, we'll get a little bit into that. But what's fascinating is that this came, James Cameron is such a fucking genius that he just drops into this thing and writes this, this treatment in a matter of days. And it's now this foundational piece of cinema, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, at, you know, here we are. So we're, we're talking about the end of Alien. Alien has been released. It's done gangbusters crazy experiences of people in the audiences in the audience all audiences all over the all over the world people throwing up in theaters no one's seen a film like this before you know returns are coming in it's cha-ching 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 you know i think it was made on 11 million dollars i think that was the budget well actually so i i have i have the numbers pulled up because because i because i have thought until preparing for this episode that it did gangbusters but it really didn't actually so it so it made seventy eight point nine million in the U S. and almost eight million in the U K. during the initial run. But the the but the the what do you call it? The budget was eleven million. That's gangbusters, right? Um. Well. The, so so hang on. So the the actual budget was. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, nine to eleven million. You're absolutely right. Yeah, which is which is super impressive. But due to a series of kind of book cooking events fox said initially that they lost two million dollars on it oh boy which is kind of crazy (laughs) yeah i know yeah um so 
anyway, so, so let me just go through some of the numbers. So, so the total worldwide gross is somewhere between 100 and $200 million, basically, at this point. Yeah, which is huge, right? But at the time, it was critically actually not universally beloved, like it is now. And on top of that, it wasn't a huge, huge financial hit. The story of it was not that it was a hit. Keep in mind, Star Wars had just come out, right? Which had basically blown the lid off of everything. Um, and then you have, within the next year, you have Return of the Jedi. You have Empire Strikes Back, rather, come out. And then you have Return of the Jedi, and you have this sort of this explosion of, of science fiction, right? Blade Runner comes out in there, too. So it's a paradigm where sci-fi is making a ton of money and making a lot more money in some ways than Alien did, especially when, when the accounting wasn't as straightforward as it could have been. So um, I think in terms of a financial imperative, there really wasn't that much of one. In addition to that, and this is something that I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit later, but I'll just bring it up now for the sake of conversation. Fox had just let Alan Ladd go, the president. And uh, it was now owned by Mark Rich and Marvin Davis, and they could not give any shits about having a sequel to Alien. So whereas Ladd was pushing for one before he left, um, like basically right after the movie dropped, he was gone, and all of a sudden you had a new management team that didn't want to do it. So it was sort of a situation like what we're in now. It was not quite as tumultuous, but there was a very big business transition happening. And in the midst of that, there was a lot of uncertainty about the future of this film. So just to break it down, you had a financially uh, fishy box office that has since gone on to be very successful, but at the time it wasn't clear if it was. You have a mixed critical reaction, but a lot of publicity, right? Because of the bar barfing and the running out of the theaters and stuff like that. Yeah. And you have a change in management uh, in a studio that is not interested in making the film. So that's kind of what we're operating in. While in the background sci-fi franchises like Star Wars and Blade Runner, although Blade Runner wasn't this enormous financial success by any means either. They're blowing up. But Star so Wars I, is, I the, is the, at that time though, Star Wars is king. Star Wars is doing mm -hmm. gangbusters. It's making hundreds of millions of dollars. So everyone wants sci-fi. Everyone, I mean, right. then you have Battlestar Galactica coming out on TV. You have all these iterations of, of science fiction. Even um, Ridley Scott himself was like, I was so in love with Star Wars. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he did Alien. He wanted to do his own kind of version of that, um, which is one of the reasons why he's approached the series now, and he's made two more films within the Alien universe because he wants it to be like Star Wars, which is another conversation. But Well, but and he was talking like that back in the early 80s about Alien because at the time, and actually I have a one more quote that I'll, I'll whip out now, and then I, and then I want to get to our personal feelings on this. But be before we do... So he was interviewed by Cinema Fantastique in, or sorry, by Cinema Fantastique in, uh, let's see, when was this? Uh, 1984. And you can actually read a ton of this on the always wonderful Strange Sapes blog, which we all love. Um, but he was asked what his ideas for an Alien 2 would be. And this was, this was basically right after Blade Runner. This is while he was trying to get Tristan and Isolde pulled off. Um, and this is also the year Legend came out, which actually I, I really enjoy. I love Legend. Um, yeah, it's a little it's a, cheesy, a good movie. but it's good. It's just, it's just weird that it's a really it doesn't feel like a Ridley Scott movie, but, but yeah, I, but I it's do very enjoy different. It. But so here's a quote. This is this is what Ridley Scott said to Cinefantastique in 1984. He said uh, that the sequel should certainly explain what the alien is and where it comes from. That will be tough because it will require dealing with other planets, worlds, civilizations. 
because obviously the alien did come from some sort of civilization. The alien was presented, really, as one of the last survivors of Mars, a planet named after the god of war. The alien may be one of the last descendants of some long-lost, self-destructed group of beings. So that's fucking Prometheus. So oh, totally. It's like, totally. Literally. And he was thinking about that right after he put the first movie out. So that's so that's weird to think about, that he was basically planning on coming back and doing a sequel that was that movie, and then it didn't happen. Yeah, I would have loved the Ridley Scott in that era. I said this, I think I wrote this a couple days ago. I would have loved the Ridley Scott from that era to make that film because he was a very different director. He was more methodical. He was slower. He didn't, he did way more takes. He had far less camera setups. Um, he was paid more. Well, he patient. also wasn't producing very much. I mean, yeah. Now he's, he's a, he's a monolith or, or is that the right? Yeah. He's, is that the right term? He's a, a megalomaniac. Well, no, no, or, he, he's I don't a, know. He's that, <laughs> he's that too. <laughs> he's a megalomaniac. Well, maybe a little bit. No, he's a, he's a, he's, he's like a, a whole, he's uh, a machine. Now. Yeah, he's, totally. Yeah. He's a machine. Yeah. He's producing for AMC and doing all these TV shows and doing stuff for Disney. And um, mm-hmm. he's producing for FX, which is a Fox-owned company. He did that series with um, Tom Hardy. I can't remember the name of a very dark series. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, the anyways, Taboo, Taboo, yes. Is it um, Taboo? Yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's... I, I, he's doing seven simultaneous... Remember on that interview at the end of last year, he mentioned that he was working on seven simultaneous projects for Scott Free, you know? Yeah, I mean he's he's a he's a machine, and and more power to him. I mean honestly, I mean we obviously have talked at very great length about our feelings on the prequels. I'm a huge Covenant fan, not a Prometheus fan. You're you're a fan of elements of both of them. Um, more of a fan a of elements of, of Covenant than I am elements of Prometheus, but. But but even even in spite of that though, like there are things like you just said, you would have yeah. you liked him more in in the eighties. Yes, yes. So like. So I and and I I think it's safe to say that we're both aware of some of the missteps that he has made. Absolutely, and I think fandom is aware of that. Yeah, um, I still want to see him finish the trilogy, uh, and 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 get some continuity so we can build build from there. But all that being said, I think that um, it's fascinating to go back to the early 1980s and to see that he was already pre-gestating the ideas that now he's finally getting to do as an 80 as an you know octogenarian. Which is, is pretty amazing, but anyway, so that was that was one possibility at the time for where the movie could go, and you go back and read the histories of, of these things. There wasn't that much out there. Basically, Brandywine had to be like, "We want to make another movie." Fox, can you bankroll it? And they were like, "Well, I don't know." And then they found James Cameron, which we'll get into on another episode. But I want to ask you, if you were the new president of Fox in 1980, what would you have wanted to see? Let me answer that question, but let me also state that what was going on at Fox in terms of them thinking about an alien film is the legacy of how they've treated these alien films ever since. We got lucky with James Cameron. We got lucky with with um, David Fincher. They, Fincher yeah. they, they wound up making some incredible films that are masterpieces uh, to many of to us, to me, to our friends. Um, they were very, very lucky. But 20th Century Fox has had a history of saying, we need a sequel. What are we going to do? What do, who do we, you know? What they did is they found, by accident in some ways, James Cameron, who was like, I got an idea. And they're like, all right. And he brought his idea and his art, and his artistic sensibilities and his, his focus as a director and who he is as a person, as you were saying earlier. And he really, despite some, some tension and some issues on set, 
he made a fucking masterpiece. It's, again, one of the best science fiction films ever ever made. Now, to get back to your point, um, and, I mean, and I mentioned that really just to say that what we see happening with Fox and the and these franchises has been happening in terms of them never having a plan. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's happened since day one. We got lucky in the '80s when these filmmakers were early were younger and they had there's more of this thirst to get their vision on on screen and this struggle and the products of those struggles is amazing. Um, well, and, and before you answer the question, um, just to go to kind of go back to what you're saying about Cameron, I think it's really important to really nail that point home that we're so lucky that he was able to pull that off because Fox basically treated him the same way they treated everybody else that has helmed an alien film, which is with complete kind of early on apathy about it. Like, okay, I guess we'll see if this will work. And then getting very nosy and trying to change a lot of things, making a lot of demands, and then eventually ending up with this kind of weird hybridized film that doesn't make very much sense. But what I, part of why I think that happens is because of the astronomical success that Aliens had. And I think they looked at it as, this is a formula that works for this series, right? Because it was because James Cameron was the singular genius who was right in the right place at the right time to make this movie. And I think that they've basically been trying to replicate that, which is why they hired David Fincher as a 27-year-old, right, to make it. Because they were like, well, he's another brilliant guy. We're like, let's let him give it a shot. But of He came they, from you know, commercials just like Ridley Scott did. Um, mm -hmm. he, had, he had a pedigree of working on some big films, uh, just like Ridley Scott had a pedigree himself. So they probably thought, um, hey, let's kind of follow our same steps. And yeah. but it was a very different company, and they did it again with Janae too. It's the same thing. They right? did. He however, he was, however, he was, well, he was thirsty. He, however, but with Janae, it was really the first time Fox was like, "We can't treat our directors like this anymore. We have to give them creative yeah. space. We have to kind of let them do what they're going to do." And they did. Unfortunately, all of those pieces that we discussed in our Alien Resurrection series, all of those pieces fell together, and it made a really shitty product. Um, right. <laughs> they still didn't really know what they were doing. They had no clue. Right. Um, and just for a minute, I'll pivot. Why Marvel is so successful is because despite, even though Bob Iger is in charge of Disney, they, you have these you have these subsets of companies within under the banner of Disney. So you have Lucasfilm. You have Kevin Feige, who's head of Marvel. 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 <laughs> um, Marble, <laughs> and uh, well, he's, he's head. He's head specifically of the MCU. Yes, which, which is, I think, a really important distinction and, because, yeah, because he's in charge of that film franchise, and he will know? be in charge of X Men as soon as uh, Fox that deal closes up, which is going to happen in a few months, probably right by the end of the year or the beginning of the Don't new year. I'm sorry, yeah. um, but why these those films, even with Star Wars, even though some people are kind of like, eh with the new Star Wars, there's systems set up in there to, so that these companies operate in, specifically with Kevin Feige. He's got writers and directors and people working on stories to ensure a good product. Fox, historically, has no one. They have no one. They, have, they change regimes. They change um, vice presidents or presidents, and they're like, what are we going to do? Um, right. And that's... One of the reasons why these films are so uneven is because it's kind of business as usual. And, and, and to their not to their credit, but to give them the benefit of a doubt, a lot of movie studios are this way. They're like, well, what are we going to come up with? Like Warner Brothers, they have these, they have these intellectual properties that 
Oh, uh, who owns, um, again, I think it's Sony. They own the 007 uh, IP, mm-hmm. James Bond. And a lot of times with them, it's, well, what director are we going to get in? Is it still going to be this guy? Who are, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of, they go through over and over and over and they're negotiating and they have someone writing a story. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on and like with Alien being so, um, Alien's got like, I mean, I'm not going to count the AVP films, but they are still connected. There's the Sorry. three, four, five films in the, I mean, Alien has as many films in it as Star Wars right now. Uh, almost. Mm. Um, and there is not, a foundation or a um, anything in place to ensure that the next films that get made have groups behind it, much like Marvel, thinking about story, thinking about quality, thinking about continuity. So then you get these films that people love or people don't like. At any rate, right. and I just wanted to really iterate to people that um, this system that we're seeing at Fox that frustrating for a lot of us like what are they doing it's the same system they've been operating under for most of their tenure as, That's true. as, as a movie studio and what's funny and then we got to move on from this because we're going to get sidetracked but what's funny is that brandywine has been that through line right carol hill and guyler like they, they have been there for most of these projects that's true but they don't have much autonomy. But they get shit on and that's the thing right is is that like and you think that they would you think fox would be like these guys know better than literally anybody else how to do this even though it's been all over the place in terms of quality like i mean they literally they, they rewrote the script for alien they fixed alien 3 so that it, all these crazy things came together into a masterpiece and then fincher was able to kind of tie it i mean brandywine has been at the center of this thing for the whole entire time. And they're still, I mean, they produce Covenant, you know? Yeah. Um, and Fox is distributing it, but they just keep getting... Yeah, they produce Covenant in name only. Like, if you think about it, right. the films that they've been integrally involved with have been the most successful. Um, yeah. Which is the first three. And re- yep. again, I think without uh, Guyler and Hill, Alien 3 would not have been what it is. Absolutely. Right. Um, because even well, though... And like, like we saw in the script episode where we actually went through page by page of the script, and you can see like they're fucking cutting and pasting things in there and fixing it. And these scenes that are so iconic came about because they were able to pull it out of the darkness and take all these disparate ideas and make brilliance out of them. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the greatest example of that is, is Resurrection with the series that we just finished where you can see that they basically backed out right at the beginning because they were just immediately not being listened to. And they didn't want to make a shit project. And and ultimately it was. Yeah. And David Geiler, or was it Walter Hill, I think, went on, you know, you see interviews with him saying, it's going to ruin this series and it's a horrible script. And he was right. It was Geiler. And he was was right. And they didn't listen to him. And this happens with Fox all the time. I mean, even though there's some contention in terms of the Blomkamp project, whether that have been good, whether it was necessary necessary to bring um, – Ripley back or not, and there's all been that discussion which we've had many times. But what we know for sure was that fandom was fever pitch wanting that movie, and Fox is like, no, sorry. Um, so it they 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 don't really have a track record for kind of continuity even within themselves. They don't have anyone. There's no one in place. I mean, the only people they have in place are people who are in charge of. Uh, franchise like fan connection like uh uh our friend um christopher um castellonia chris castellonia who you know who's kind of in charge of 
uh, fan connection and fan outreach with franchises. Um, and there are people who work um, and do some research for them here and there, but there's really no one like Kevin Feige that's like, hey, I'm in charge mm-hmm. of the, I'm in charge of Alien. Everything goes through me. You would think it would be Brandywine, but Brandywine is a production company that works with Fox. They don't work for Fox. Brandywine right. produces things that other studios would produ- produce it sometimes. I do want to get back to your original question right. so we can move on. Your your first okay. your question was if I was the president of Fox at the time, Alien has just come out, it's just kind of seen its run, where would I want to go with this? Um, and that's kind of hard. I think there's a kind of that's there's two ways to answer that. Number one, if I'm am I a fan of the film as the president of Fox was at the time? And if I was, I mean I think part of it would I, I don't know if I would have an answer to that. Because even at the end of Alien, Ripley isn't this like She's not the main star of the movie. So you could go anywhere. You could then, you could go back to that planet. You could, um, I mean, maybe my idea would to be send another crew. Uh, say the movie would start and it starts with the crew and the Stromo has been lost. And Waylon Yutani is about to send another group out there to find them. And um, this is the, 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 um, the area that they were before they send a crew and instead this isn't truckers. These are almost, um, it's not even so much military, but it's maybe a scientist. It's, it's people who are, who have been in the Wayland Yutani uh, company for a long time, but they're on a mission to find out what has happened to this crew of the Nostromo. And that would be an interesting thing. So, um, it's connected to alien. Um, but it, and it is, it is going back to the planet. Um, but they're looking for signs of life. Um, and maybe at that point they run into during that, during that, uh, travel to LV426, they find Ripley's, um, the narcissist and they don't wake her up and they just keep her there. And they're like, okay, we've got her, but we need to find out what's happening. So Ripley stays in cryo. So, so Ripley's in this movie. Well, she's in this only in name. Tangentially, so so yes. so it's t- so so they get the narcissist and then they kind of keep her in yes cryo. they keep her in cryo and they're yeah. like we need to head back to this planet, um and then they're gonna they're gonna when they find the narcissist they start, um checking it over saying hey there's some interesting things on this ship, there's some uh, bi- biological material on the ship and they start investigating and putting it under microscopes and they're like this is weird, um what's the closest planet. The closest planet's like that, this one over here, and then they end up going to the planet. But, you know, I mean, that that would be, for me, if I'm spitballing, if I'm like, let's get back to that planet, let's explore that more. What was that ship? Who were these people? That's what I would do. And you don't feel like that would be giving too much away? Because I know something that something that we talk a lot about is whether or not to allow questions to be answered in science fiction, right? So, to be totally honest, my initial thought would be that I would like to see um, a prequel. It's funny, like 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 what what I think is I would like to see what happened to the derelict, you know? Because at the end of Alien, that's what my question is. My question at the end of Alien isn't what happens to Ripley because in my mind, she is safe, right? Because she is at the end of Alien. She has conquered the monster. She's in cryosleep. She has a, her, her course is set, right? She leaves her message. She goes to bed. She's got Jones all set. He's all comfy. Um, she's okay. I don't leave Alien needing to have further reinforcement of that, right? 
I leave Alien wondering what the fuck was on LV four two six. Absolutely, absolutely right? agree. Like, the, and that and that is the thing, and that's the thing that we all carry with us, right? The chestburster is what gets butts in the seats. The derelict is what keeps butts there for decades, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's the central mystery. So then you're faced with this conundrum of. Do I explain what happened or do I not? Well, I think you can explore that, though, and not explain it. Like, I Mm. I, I think about, like, say Waylon Yutani sends in a ship um, to find out what happens and they go back to LV-426 and you see more exploration into that derelict. More. They're going deeper. They could even do this. They could even do this now. They could even tell that same story now. Um, And Ripley could continue drifting off to where where she goes they can continue story, but whatever they could, they could investigate the derelict. And I think it wouldn't it be amazing if like you have this crew of people who are trained for this. So you have maybe a couple of military people, maybe a scientist, mm. but these people are trained, but they also have a relationship established. These are fixers, not fixers, but these are people that Wayland Yutani are point people who have always worked. Surveyors. Yes. And they've they're, always, they're, they're people who are experienced with terraforming. They're experienced with hostile organisms. Yes. They know what they're doing. Which yes. is funny because we're actually formulating the plot of aliens right now. Do you hear? Do you feel that coming on? Like a we're little, literally, like a let's go see what happened on LV four two six, and get specialists to go out and find it. With LV four, with aliens though, it was more of like, this is what's been going on in LV four two six, and we're not hearing from these people. Whereas with, might be similar in terms of we haven't. Uh, it's been fifteen years, and we don't know what happened to the Stromo. And they've sent people out, and maybe they don't—they don't even run into the narcissist. We just see the ship going back to LV426. So it's set obviously way before the events of Aliens. And they get to the ship, and they're just exploring, and they're exploring, and they find some things, and maybe they find some remnants of the Nostromo during the setdown or whatever. But they have nothing to—they're just taking in data. I'm like, well, it seems like maybe they were here, maybe they weren't. And there's a beacon coming from this thing over here. We're going to go and explore it, and they explore something, and. Could you imagine if they're in this thing and what if they run into, what if the engineers had sent off someone else at that same time and they get into that ship? Mm. Oh, you mean like the engineers? Yeah, but but it's only only one. And you imagine they're in that big derelict and they're looking around and all of a sudden they're looking and they see this statuous, this nine foot tall thing turn and, and who doesn't see them and this thing turns and walks. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's almost amazing. a double alien film. Um, I, right. I, I think it could be brilliant. Right. And then and then they, they try to escape from this engineer and they end up, you know, in the bowels of the derelict um, and they get impregnated. And then all of a sudden you're living the experience of aliens, but enclosed in the derelict, which, which is such an amazing set that like. But that's also something that I don't, I don't think they would ever green light because at the time, you know, they have no digital capabilities like that they would have had to rebuild and, and you know like it's legendary how much work went into building the derelict so to have a whole movie kind of take place around that would have been an enormous challenge they could have done it i mean if if anything james cameron could have done it because he was so brilliant at using things like miniatures and matte paintings to create the experience of a full universe you know yeah yeah um but uh i i think that's a really fascinating fascinating idea what i would love to see because you know 57 years passed between the films right that's like a a lot of shit happens in that intervening time period. I would have loved to get Amanda Ripley's story. So obviously after isolation came out, Amanda has become more of a central figure in fandom. She's somebody that I have a hard time with her. I have a hard time with her character, but go ahead. We'll talk about this. Really? Yeah, I do. Check those corners. Check those corners. She's Ripley. Interesting. We already have a Ripley. We don't need another one. 
But she's just our conduit to get us into a ship that looks like the Nostromo. Of course, there's some things that are different on um, uh, Sevastopol. Sevastopol. Um, I love that idea. I do. I just feel like the world building was so good in, or not just good, it was amazing for isolation. That's what people are attracted to. I don't particularly think, not to say that Amanda Ripley's story isn't interesting. It could be. The way they set it up, I'm not such a fan of. Now, well, you got to play the game. You, I have played. Now, but, see, but listen, listen, no, listen. you got to play the game. I did play from the beginning. With Dan. You got to sit down um, with some Cheetos. I get did. Some Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> sit in the basement. <laughs> put some sweatpants some on and fucking um, play Isolation. No, but listen, listen, listen. Hear this. Hear me out. Yeah. I think the setup for the game is awesome. For a mm-hmm. game, it is amazing. It's rich. The story works. It's awesome. As a movie, it would not work. Okay, I disagree. I also think that Amanda is a perfect conduit into a film because she gives us a chance to connect with something that we feel familiar with, but from a different level. She has a different life experience. She grew up on Earth. She has a different, uh, you know, she doesn't know where her mom went. She's trying to find her. And we know her mom so well. We know the core of that character in our hearts. But I don't want to re-engage with Ripley again. Resurrection was a very genuinely painful experience for me in that way. I hate the fact that she was dredged back after having, in my opinion, the greatest death scene in the history of all fucking cinema at the end of Alien yeah. 3. Yeah. I hate that she was brought back. The reason why I'm such an anti-Blomkamp version person is because I hate the fact that he wanted to bring her back. I think that Ripley is a perfect, iconic character and a huge part of our lives, and I don't want her to be kicked while she's you know, a dead horse kind of a thing. Yeah, I understand. Um, and to me, Amanda serves this great function of allowing us to continue to dialogue with the character of Ripley, right? With Ellen Ripley, to continue to have this sort of way of touching her emotionally yeah. without actually having to, to experience her story anymore and having a new version into it. I think she's a great idea for a protagonist. I would agree. I would agree that in she's a, film. a great idea in a film. Um, like I know in isolation, they put her in a in a costume that's just like her mother's and i was like let's not make her her mother let's make her someone different and i think in a as far as the game goes i just wasn't sure what they were after and i think if if amanda's gonna be in a movie and i would be all for it make sure that we're not making her a ripley substitute um make sure that that. i I don't which is one of the reasons why shaw and daniels is failing because there's only one ripley stop doing it these people are dead burke don't you have any idea what you've done here? Well, I'm going to make sure that they nail you right to the wall for this. You're not going to sleaze your way out of this one. Right to the wall. And now, if we want to, if we want to follow Amanda's storyline and make her just a different kind of woman, where she's a little bit, she's not as strong. And what's what's interesting about Ripley and Aliens is everyone says that she's badass. She doesn't try to be badass. She's following her instincts. She has great sense of integrity. She's also terrified, but she can compartmentalize that really well. Well, that's part of why she's so powerful. Yeah, you know, it is. And it's the fact that she embraces fear, she's aware of it. Yeah. She's almost beaten down by it, yeah. and then she comes back. It is the most flawless. Perf- I mean, oh, in my heart beats Ripley. In my heart beats Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver. Me like, too. I, I mean, so she's, don't touch oh. her. I, and that's that's why I'm saying that is is just just allow us to have her for who she is as this legendary person who exists in a time and a place and it's realistic and doesn't yeah. come back and get cloned or come back as a fucking alien costumed person. 
allow her to, to live in that space. Totally. You know? Although she is alive, but the thing a is, version of her is alive after Alien Resurrection. There's that un, un not that they need to touch that again. But they could touch it in a very well. She's in way. Paris at the end of the special edition, yeah. fucking sitting on a hill. I don't know what yeah. she's doing. I don't know. I don't even care. Whatever. I'm a stranger. That, here that character's gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's great about a character like Amanda Ripley, in my opinion, is that it allows us to touch elements of Ripley's character, of Ellen Ripley's character, and it allows us to see echoes of Ellen Ripley in her. Right. Part of what's so cool about being a dad is getting to see these little things about myself pop up in, in our kids that I never knew about myself. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that's that's why he does that. That's that's what I did as a child, you know? That's why he made that decision. And, and you know, nobody would think that my kids are facsimiles of me. But if they were to interact with my kids and not know me, they would get a, some sort of a sense of who I am because of that. They and are like a, the in a version. They are a version of you. They are somewhat of a facsimile of you. Absolutely. I mean, at birth, but then, you know, the, as they develop and they change, they, yeah. they path, you know, their own uh, path gets gets charted. And before you know it, they're, they're very different, even though there are these ties. So what's cool about Amanda Ripley to me is that it allows us to more clearly see some elements of Ellen Ripley that it's easy to forget about right? yeah, in, that's in true. the ways that she acts, which I think is kind of cool. But I do agree with you. This is something that I would personally. So if I were in that position, if I were in Alan Ladd's position, had he not been fired in the early 80s. I would probably have um, not wanted to engage with Ripley again because I think that a huge problem in storytelling in general, um, in franchises specifically, and acutely in science fiction franchises, is we focus on, you know, we have an entire fucking universe to explore and we focus on like one storyline, right? Yeah. One storyline with like one family over and over and over and over and over again. Like we talk about the Enterprise, you know, we talk about, you know, the Skywalkers, like, like everything is about these very small pods of people and they, and they interact with other sects of people, but everybody else is just sort of a bit player in yeah. their story. Yeah. I understand why, right? Because in science fiction, it's so expansive and there's so much going on that um, it helps to have like an anchor point like that. But I think if you don't prime the audience to be dependent on that, if you treat it from the beginning like an anthology, then I think that um, it becomes you, – you, you set up a paradigm where it's okay if you take chances. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. It's okay if you try to divert from what people would expect. So to me, I love what you say about having Ripley sort of maybe just talked about or maybe like the narcissist is in, is, is in holding somewhere and they haven't woken her up yet. So that it ties it to that universe. But then we get a whole different story. So in my initial conception of this, I would love for Amanda Ripley to grow up and decide she's going to find out what happened to her mom. And to organize, to get a job within the, co the company, th to lead that expedition that you're talking about, basically. And to go find out that they should have called Colonial Marines or they should have called Defense Forces because they're walking into a trap, basically. Um, and then you have this... Uh, really dangerous situation like the first film where they're not at all prepared for what they're walking into and they're confused and they're ridiculous and they have no idea what well, how they can survive aliens as much as i love it and i do love it in a very deep way the the thing that's always bothered me about it is how disposable the xenomorph feels to me and you know i know people have different feelings on that but in my mind the aliens that are in the second film feel more um like less mysterious yes right yes. much less mysterious they feel like uh you know like i could punch them you know 
in in the first film, like I wouldn't touch Big Chap. Yeah, he is so eerie and otherworldly and frightening, and so much more powerful than any of the humans that he's near. That there's nothing you can do. And aliens, they 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 kill hundreds of them. You know. That, like the turret sequence that's cut, like it's just fucking mowing them down. Yeah, know? and when you like, can kill them that easily, they become less interesting. They become less right. mysterious. They become less. Just, they just become bugs, which is a contention which we'll get to eventually in mm-hmm. one of our episodes of is it overrated? What is it? You know, right? Um, some right. of the the arguments that people have, kind of, of aliens dumbing down uh, the lore of the xenomorph. Absolutely. But I do understand. In, within the the context of the movie that he was making, which again is a masterpiece, you can't you can't have the aliens all be just way more powerful than Big Chap. So you have to do the opposite of that, which is to just make tons of them, right? And to make it more like you're going against a instead of a shark, a, a school of piranha, right? Um, or a shoal of piranha. <clears throat> and I actually keep piranhas, which is why I'm like being specific on the. Did you know that? You have them. Yeah, well, they're all dead now. But for for years, I had I had oh, many of them. Really? Um, they were fucking badass. Yeah, yeah. they were. They were. I knew people who had piranhas pets. growing up. Yeah, very interesting. I had fish. red bellies and also a black piranha. Really? Yeah, they're fucking cool. And a little anyway, tiny, so, a little tiny tank, so they could barely swim. Good job. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I expansive. I had an ocean basically in my apartment in Boston. Thank, thank I grew up with fish all all my life. Actually, I miss having fish. Oh, you really? Oh yeah. Nice. Well, go get some. Maybe. Bitch. Anyway, <laughs> so so you know, instead of going up against the Great White, you know, the Jaws in Space thing, you go up against a multitude of of lesser threats. But doing that changes something very fundamental about the Xenomorph, which is that it becomes disposable and it becomes a matter of quantity over quality, right? Which is somewhat reset a little bit about, but you know, by having the Queen, which is kind of allows them to be in a situation where they're against such a more powerful version of the xenomorph that you get the dynamic back a little bit at the end of the movie but um anyway i think that going with our story that we've kind of been co-developing here which i think we should get co-writing credit on yes um it's 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 mostly work, but you know I'm, I'm jazzing it up a little bit i think that um it would be nice to have really profoundly outmatched circumstances again to have surveyors on this planet with maybe a couple bodyguards and, you know, 10 of them get impregnated because they fall into the chamber. And before you know it, they're being overrun, you know, and then the engineer shows up, you know, at the end of the movie and a sort of a fourth act scenario, you know, and then they're trying to escape from the engineer that the xenomorphs running around. They're trying to get off the planet. Um, and then in the midst of that, they find out that the Narcissus has been caught at a relay station and that Ripley's survived, you know, um, I just think that opening it up more at the beginning would have allowed more possibility, but it would have been a much harder sell because of the way the world was operating in the early 1980s. Yeah, on the heels of Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. and characters that people loved. You know, it's interesting, as you were talking, I keep thinking about Ripley, and as much as I love her and, you know, the first three Alien films, you know, beat also beat in my heart, and I think about them on a daily basis. What what is so difficult, um, the mountain that the prequels have had to climb and have not successfully climbed it, and I think you can even agree in terms of Covenant, you can't top Ripley. Not that you need to set out to top Ripley. They haven't even come up with a character who has touched her. They haven't come up with characters who have touched Vasquez, Burke, Gorman. Um, there's a little bit, you know, the only two characters 
that uh, or character for me that sticks out as indelible into my brain is Ferris. I think about Ferris quite a bit. That performance, um, her terror, um, just that whole scene. Um, I it, it plays in my head all the time, um, and so that setup that you're talking about. You know, you have you know you, you have this character of Ripley, and we follow her for three films, and then sort of a, a version of her in a fourth film. She's so wrapped in the hearts of people that these films like Prometheus and Covenant, even though there's some great things in Covenant, I mean, I love an hour an hour of that film, I love it. Um, there's still this gaping hole. Um, of because we're still getting versions of Ripley. We know? are, and, and, and we're totally not getting agree. their you know, own. Yeah. So we, we had three. We had three films where there was actual Ripley. We had a film where there was you know clones of her, yeah. and one clone in particular. And then we had a film where there was basically Ripley as a scientist. Um, and then we had a film where there was a proto Ripley as a grieving widow, sort you know, of, who's in charge of the cargo bay, uh, right? and, and she's kind of a second officer, just like the original Ripley. I mean, she's more right. of a clone of Ripley than Shaw was. At least Shaw, yeah. they tried a few different things. They made her, you know, they tried to make her um, more religious, even though that fell flat on its ass. Um, I mean, Shaw was horribly written. She wasn't well acted, even though Numi Rapace is brilliant. I mean, most of those roles were horribly acted because they were horribly written. They were written. terribly acted. Yeah. And that's the problem with Prometheus to me is that not only, like we were talking earlier today about how um, it, there are characters that make stupid decisions in both prequel films. I can totally agree with that. But the stupid decisions that are made in Covenant to me feel like decisions that are made by people who make bad decisions and get their comeuppance for it. Yeah, the I disagree. The bad decisions in, that, in Prometheus, but... well, that's for another another time. <laughs> the, the bad decisions in Prometheus come about um, it, like, they're because stupid. it's like people. Yeah. <laughs> because they just don't, don't make any sense as, yeah. as humans, you know? Well, and it's funny if we're thinking about it, and I was watching, I like. The idea of biblical stories told by people who aren't believers, because um, it's just they bring in, in interesting viewpoints. And so I started to watch Gods and Kings or Exodus, Gods and Kings. I was howling. Mm-hmm. That film was so fucking bad. I was howling. <laughs> I was like howling. It was so bad. I was like, of course we got Prometheus. Of course Prometheus. Look at this movie was very similar to Prometheus, where it was really well made with some really great ideas. But it was horribly written. It was written like on the lowest common denominator. Not that I want to get too far into this, but my the larger point was um, it's hard to follow up pedigrees like Ripley, like Parker, mm-hmm. like Dallas, Lambert, Vasquez, Gorman, Drake, yeah. all of those yeah, people. And, and none of these new films have done that. And, and, that, and they're, totally, and they're totally not going to succeed until they do. But in the absence of that, I still would say that you have to take the film for what it is. And, and to me, the prequels are more about the ideas and the philosophies going on, but to which pi- is, a, again, a separate conversation. I, but to pivot you know, back to what you're saying, I think um, what you were saying is if they would have opened it up a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. um, we might not have had these problems. And, and, and in fact, if Star Wars would have opened itself up a little bit more um, and maybe had a, and I think some of the issue that people, not, not to get into the Star Wars, but this relates, some of the issues people have with The Last Jedi, which I don't have, I loved it. I thought I think it's a masterpiece. T-O-J! Um I, I think it. it gets better and better every time I see it. Um, mm. He tried to do that with with Finn and Rose. Um, he opened it up a little bit more to this different, and people hated it. They hated. It. Some people did. A lot of people did. Um, I was like, hey, 
This is, it's not Skywalker. It's a little bit different. You see the little boy at the end with the, the broom that he force pulls part over. Of the movie. Yeah, Best I mean, to say that anyone can be a hero. Anyone yep. can have this power. And people were like, no, it, yeah. no, 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 no. But that's the problem. Getting out of these boxes of right. of of ex- expectation. And we I have them too. And um, mm-hmm. I, it's going to be hard for me in an alien film to see someone who isn't Ripley because it's like even though I don't like to compare if you're not going to sell me on it I'm going to end up comparing because I just already saw someone better in a movie prior Mm -hmm. anyways to get back to your main point because I don't want to veer too far off the film should have stayed open um, so we would be a little bit more open ourselves to maybe the story of Covenant um, to maybe that crew so we could experience them more as characters as opposed to well these characters aren't as good as those characters Right, because because a, a big complaint that a lot of people have is that we were constantly comparing the characters in the new films to the characters in the old films. And to be fair, th- there's a lot of very specific reasons for that. Like, I don't know why we're still getting every alien film with a white female protagonist. I, I don't like why is it a, why does it always have to look the same as every other? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's a reason with short hair. Even it's like that specific. Like, what? Why don't we just? Again, the onus is on you know? Fox and the people who greenlight this yeah. stuff. Like, if you if you want people to accept these ideas and or what you're presenting and to be more out of the box thinkers, then stop giving us versions of the same thing. Right. And I do have to qualify that though. I I really like Daniels a lot. I know this is some, I know you don't. I, I I really truly do. I actually think she's a really interesting character. I really enjoy her in the book quite a lot as well. And I think that um, that Watterson does a really good job of the part. And um, I find a lot of value in that character. It's not but that she's terrible. Day, she's not terrible. She's just forgettable. That's the difference. But well, she, I I she's I I wouldn't call her forgettable personally. In comparison to Ripley, of course she's forgettable. And here's the problem. Can you imagine? And I really mean this. Can you, Jamie, can you imagine seeing an alien sequel or prequel film with a crew as indelible as the people in Aliens? Can you can you theoretically see that happening? Yes. Absolutely. No, I can't. I can't. Why? I can't. I, because you know what? Well, see, you you were alive when Aliens came out. I was one at the time. So 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 I have no I I was connection eight with eight or whatever. You were you were thirty two at the time. You, <laughs> we were both single digits at the time. You, you were putting your dentures in. You were like, I gotta show up. Um, so you had a brief window of time where you experienced it, um, actually as like a living, breathing person before it became legend. I didn't have that. So when you saw it, as it, you saw it in theaters or no? No, I saw it when it came on TV. Okay, I was just about to turn ten. Shit. So yeah. So so it was too late for you too. Then I, I what I yeah. what I'm curious about is if people who saw it at the time connected as deeply to those characters as as we do now. But see, because, I, see, I think your argument's flawed because I think of films like um, Interstellar and how um, um, Christopher, Christopher. You don't like Interstellar. I fucking love Interstellar. Oh, okay. So Christopher Nolan was able to fashion. I love. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's it's one of it's one of the best science fiction films ever made. I don't I give a shit what anybody movie. says. It really is. Um, anyways, I, I, absolutely, um, I absolutely love it. Yeah. And the soundtrack is one of the best I've ever owned. It's I, amazing. I agree. That's actually Jude's. Speaking of my son, that's that's his uh, favorite movie soundtrack. Really he loves it. I have a, a seven favorite. minute version called Day One Dark. I need to share that with you. It's yeah, different from what. It's different from what's on the on the score. Anyways, uh, you have someone like Christopher Nolan who was who's able to make a film like Interstellar, and we are emotionally invested in those characters. They're living, breathing, 
actual human beings who love the way you're who, the way that you're invested in the characters and aliens really yes absolutely you no no that is yes. not true you fucking are, well, yes. here's a question i think here's a about question. Rand here's a question all, or brand whatever her name is all the time i think you about, don't know her name that's what i'm just gonna say it's do brand you know, how it's many brand names or brand. of the crew members do you remember cooper i remember cooper i think about them all who the else? time who else well they're cooper the... murph and then and then who else what's the name of the robot the main robot Okay, fine. That, <laughs> but, fine, are, fine. You got one of no, them. You're you got fine. One of them. What's no, Catwoman's name? No. Uh, Anne Hathaway. No, not the actress, but I mean, like, what is her character's name? Brand. She's like the. Are you sure? I'm positive. Because her father, okay. her father was, her father was in charge of the whole mission, and then Jessica right, Chastain okay. plays a grown-up Murphy. What's your point? My point is that <laughs> you're wrong. My my point is that there is no comparison between the characterizations in Aliens you're and wrong. the characterizations in Interstellar. Interstellar is a masterpiece you're of wrong. cinema, a masterpiece of science fiction. It is an emotional journey that I relate to and I feel very hard. No, but I don't. I don't live with those characters. I live with my moment um, to moment experience. I live with. Um, you don't even know his name. No, it's a girl I'm talking Who? about. Um, who are you talking Natalie about? Natalie Mortman. Natalie Mortman. <laughs> Natalie Mortman. Um, Natalie Mortman's <laughs> character yeah, right. from Annihilation. Annihilation. She yeah. lives and breathes in me. I think about her all the time. Yeah, Lena. 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 So I, yeah. I, I knew her name. Um, I think about her all the time. This is how powerful characters are for me. When I invest, I invest. Like mo- the movies. You think I mean, Lena I, holds up. Listen to though. Listen. Vasquez? I am as invested in um, Rachel as I am in Ripley. Because she was. I agree with that. I'm invested in Kay in a different different. way. Why is it different? Kay's a new character. It's different. It's different because Rachel has lived with you (laughs) for all twelve decades that you've been alive. You you (laughs) you have had time to for her to live and to gestate in your heart, right? I'm curious for people and people who are listening to this episode. Please write in and let us. Actually, I really do mean this. Please write in and let us know. If you were of an age to see Aliens in theaters when it came out, I know many of you were, what was it like? Did you have an immediate sense of deep connection to these people? And I'm saying that because, for example, Lena, the biologist in Annihilation, is one of my favorite characters in recent movie history. I feel her very deeply. I feel like that. I think, I mean, I read the trilogy of books. I'm going to read it again. I'm fucking obsessed with that movie. Uh, I don't think about her the same way that I think about a character from Aliens. See, and, I, and I, I do, don't even I mean... Think about, I, I think about David from AI the same way I think about Ripley. Like, he's a different character. He he operates different really? from me. In fact, that moment where his mother drops him off in the forest and she goes, I'm sorry I've never prepared... I, I didn't prepare you for the world. Breaks my heart. I think about that moment all the time. That movie sticks in... I think about the character... I think about... Um, uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character from from um, Mr. Holland's uh, Opus. No. Um, Jaws. No. Uh, the one before. Um, Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Sorry. Um, I think about him all the time. He sticks with me as much like... And you I think I, about him the way you think about Ripley? Yes, in a different way. The way you think about Burke? Really? But okay, Burke's fine. different. Well, you're special. 
I do, see to me. To see, me, I, I, thing, I, I'm thing. a character. Every guy. single character, and yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, you're you're gifted in that way. Okay, <laughs> to me, just normal. Nobody else comes close to Ripley. Nobody else comes close to the ensemble cast in both of the first two films. And there are echoes. As of far as science movie. fiction, there are, there are, I agree with you. As far as science fiction, I there's agree nothing with you. like it to me. There's nothing like it to me, and it's not even an emotional connection. I don't, I don't commit to Pharaoh or to Wisbowski as like a deep emotional me neither. thing, right? Me neither. But, but, but they are completely living, breathing entities in my day to day existence. I think about. I know Ferris every fucking the time, line though. they drop. I, th- I think about Ferris all the time. I do. Yeah, and I, I agree. I agree. She's probably the strongest character in Covenant. I agree, but nothing like. I mean, this is something we talked about on that recent roundtable as well. So this will be kind of repeat listening for some people after they get to that episode. But what's amazing to me is every time Aliens comes up in conversation, we all start reciting the entire script line by line from that point on, doing the accents. I mean, for example, when Al Matthews died last week which was a fucking huge blow to the community. We did that video episode. It's something that I've, I've been, you know, every, every time that our tweet gets liked, I get, you know, notification about it. And I see his picture come up and I'm every single time it hits me that yeah. we lost Al Matthews yeah. this week. Yeah. My point being though, that um, the ways that in which people responded to his death were probably 80% quoting lines of his from the movie. This is a character who was in it for maybe 15 minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. He dies very early on. He doesn't show up until quite a while, until mm. she already leaves and, and you know the station and, get, and goes out there. Um, he has maybe enough dialogue to fit into half of one page. You know, he has a couple of, of interactions with Hudson. He you know gives some commands. He, he reflects on the you know the valleys of being in the Marine Corps and gets people you know up and running. And yet we know every line that he has, and he's somebody who we think about all the time. And is people have his face on T-shirts. People quote him all the time. He's a huge part of our lives. You know. Um, and, and it's not even characters like Apone, it's characters that you see, it's like Frost, these people that you see for moments. Gorman. Wierzbowski. These are yeah, real, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these are people who are real characters, and there's so many yeah. of them. But you're, That's what's amazing. You're touching on something that I think we're going to talk about in the future in terms of the legacy of, uh, or we sort of talked about it in our roundtable that everyone will hear, but we need to talk about it deeper. And you're talking about something that's synonymous to Alien um, in terms of the sense of camaraderie and family um, that mm-hmm. we think about all of these characters all the time. Gorman doesn't have this big, huge role. I think about Gorman. I think about Burke. I think about Newt. Of course, Newt's in the movie a lot. Um, I mean, there's fucking a, Newt. That's one of the there, great characters in cinema history. Totally. There's a know? magic There's a magic behind Aliens that um, almost to detriment that movie is so powerful and magical that nothing else m- matches up. And because it doesn't, because that that love and that time that Cameron spent has not been spent the same way by by Janae or Ridley Scott. Um, I, but you're talking about this connection that we have to everyone, like Al Matthews. I mean, all these people are family. Uh, you know, I, I follow Mark Rolston on on Twitter, and every time I see him, I'm thinking, okay, he's still in the world, like, like. Can I just actually, just a very brief shout out to Mark Rolston. He is in the new Spider-Man game, which I have been completely consumed with over the last few weeks. And uh, he plays the Green Goblin in it, Harry Osborn. Oh, wow. And it is like an incredible motion capture performance. 
Um, and I really highly recommend anybody who hasn't played it yet, which I know is not many people because it's like one of the best selling games of all time. Fucking pick it up. You can see him doing an amazing job in this role. And I'm so glad that not only is he still in the world, but he's still getting great work like that. Mark Wilson's a god. Uh, he's awesome. Yeah. Drake. We are leaving. Um, yeah. We are leaving. So, I mean, I think we... I think that uh, I mean obviously they went into the direction well, this, of, I of Hicks says that. What? Is that a Hicks line? That's a Hicks line. I know, but I'm thinking um, he says Marines. We are leaving right after you see Drake. Right. So right. that's why. And I also said. Hicks is a character that too. I, I have to oh, say, yeah. yeah. Like I, I mean, Hicks when, feels when like I a father a... to me or a brother or someone. I don't know. There's something about Michael Bean as Hicks that. Something, I fucking love Michael Bean. Me too. There's something when I was like a kid, I was like, that's what him. I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. When totally. I was like a little kid, I was like, I hope that I am exactly like him yeah. when I'm an adult. Yeah. He is. I was in love with him. So <laughs> handsome. Yeah. He's also so uh, quietly charismatic. And like, and I think one of and my soft, favorite roles though. Is his, There's a tenderness soft, about it. Right? Yeah. And you, and you don't see that very often in yeah. action protagonists. And you look at him in The Terminator. You look at him in Aliens. You look at him in Tombstone. I mean, Tombstone is one of my other favorite. It's one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Have you seen Tombstone? Oh, of course. Yeah, it's a great film. And it also has like the same cast as Aliens for some reason. It's, like, yeah, so many of the same funny. actors. Yeah. And uh, what's it's his weird. name? Who plays Huck? Um, well, Bill Paxton is Bill, it. Bill Paxton, but um, oh my God. I'm, I, whenever I, we podcast, I always... Kurt uh, Russell, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, yeah. He plays, uh, what's his name? He's Doc Holliday. Yeah. He's awesome. That amazing, movie is amazing. amazing I remember seeing that in the theater. It was so great. Oh, oh my. See, see, because I'm not old enough. I, I was like three when that came out. Yeah, I but I was, was a kid too. I was out. little. I was probably. Yeah, you were fucking, you drove there Shut in your the own fuck car. Up. <laughs> <laughs> you, got a, you got your depends on. You sat down. <laughs> With my grandkids. But, yeah, like, come on, child. <laughs> but that movie to me is a great example of Michael Bean doing an atypical part and doing an amazing job with it. And yeah. I, I really, I wish that his career had had that sustained level of intensity. I hope he's in the he's new Terminator work. movie. That'd be interesting. They should That'd cast him in the new Terminator. Give that man some work. Yes. He's amazing. He is. And, and as a, as a young boy, it was really helpful for me to see somebody like Hicks who was not, yes. uh, hyper-masculinized. You're right. Even though he was heroic, right? Yeah. He was He was just like me. He was like a, a you know, he was a, a white dude, but he wasn't like the John Wayne type. Yeah. He wasn't the Rambo type. He wasn't Schwarzenegger. He was like a, he did the right thing and when it was his turn to listen, he fucking listened. When yeah. Ripley stepped up, he did not get in the way and go, oh, well, well, you know, that's that's not a woman's thing. You know, he 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 was like, she she is saving. Him. He acquiesced it's to her, her too when he could have been in frequently. charge of that platoon. He kind of like realized this is better off with her, and because yeah. um, he was like, I believe corporal. She's like, I believe Corporal Hicks is in charge. Aren't aren't I right, Corporal? And he goes, Yeah, she's right. You know, he's very reticent about it, and it's interesting the dynamic between where him and Hudson, where Hudson's like badass funny guy we're gonna do this and do that but then when the shit gets when the shit gets shitty he's like i'm scared i don't you know he's freaking out and he's having all these anxiety attacks hicks is like dude calm down like hicks really Mm -hmm. steps up like yeah you're right i mean he's he is an unusual supporting character slash protagonist 
He's a man. You re- and you really don't see he's a leading man. You know, yeah. he was a, he was a leading man in the eighties in, in that yeah. capacity. He was. He and was and these roles were very nuanced and very qu- kind of like Ryan Gosling almost, just very kind of quiet and very inner, and yet very charismatic and very grounded. And a character like Hicks, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about um and I don't want to get too too much into social issues on this, but we talk a lot about the importance of Ripley as a female action protagonist, right? And about how that was a, a really great thing in the history of cinema because it, it opened up avenues for roles for women that hadn't um, been as frequent before that, you know, so that they didn't have to be saved as much, you know, and she wasn't the first one, but she was the first really cultural moment in movies making, I think, where you had a, a very strong female hero um, in that, and that wasn't like a superhero, you know. But then um, what's interesting is that the social sort of progressivism in Aliens, okay, this is a brief, this is a small aside, What's fascinating is that Aliens is at its heart, in a lot of ways, a very conservative film in terms of it's 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 full of this proto jingoistic Americana sort of um, you know like I mean to the fact that they they even have stars and stripes on their uniform. It is a movie that was made by early nineteen eighties Hollywood. Right, this is a time when we had experienced in in recent history this humongously humiliating tragic vietnam conflict that was um you know we we had walked out of that with our tail between our legs tremendous loss of life nobody believed in institutions anymore um everything was falling apart you had the hippie movement you had all these riots you had student protests right the war, it was a very turbulent time in the united states and then in the 80s we come out of that and we have this buttressing of traditional conservative values right we're launching at this point into the reagan era we are looking for leadership. I mean, you know, we just been through fucking Watergate before this too, right? Everything was all over the place. So America was looking to kind of reconsolidate and to build on strength, right? And that's what that's the paradigm in which something like trickle down economics could prosper because that's what people believed in, right? We believed again in American exceptionalism, and you see that in the movies that Hollywood was putting out at the time. You see that in the fact that in the early 1980s, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a movie starring a muscular male protagonist firing guns in a jungle somewhere, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm not making a judgment call. That's part of our history. I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but that's where we were at the time, right? Um, and that was the paradigm that Aliens came about in. And this movie was made with this very kind of like, we can not only go in there and confront our fears, but we can conquer it with superior firepower, you know? I mean, they literally had things like that emblazoned on their outfits, right? This idea of um, superiority through superior weaponry and funding and blah, 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 blah. What's interesting is that in the context of this of this thing that's outwardly very sort of traditional conservative America filmmaking, you have um, this movie that's actually a lot more nuanced than that, that says, uh, that basically becomes this um, this Vietnam paradigm again right it becomes like a a way to re-engage with with the vietnam war and it becomes a a way to talk about what happened and then in the midst of that you think that that's sort of the the extent of this sort of you know um under the current progressivism but then you have the male lead acquiesce consistently and with great grace to a woman who not only is a woman, but is not a military officer, you know, until she becomes one in, in the context of the movie. But she is just better for the role. And he doesn't make a big thing out of it. 
like you know we talk about an alien all the time part of what's great about ripley being cast as a woman is because she nobody makes a big deal out of that right well, she's I, just allowed she's, to function as a she's great character first she's not her exactly. gender first she you know right. uh, uh, these days so many of these female characters are sexed up so mm-hmm. many of them you you know their costumes are different. They're showing more skin. Ripley had none of that. Yeah, she right. got down to her panties, you know, in at the end of Aliens, but it wasn't sexy. It was more about her feeling comfortable and vulnerable and and at mm-hmm. ease. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't sexual whatsoever. It, there was an element of that, I suppose, because there was someone invading there, that territory. There's a discussion that aliens. And that's are, okay, but yeah, from totally. a storytelling thematic standpoint, I yeah. mean, the whole movie is about men's fear of giving birth and getting blowjobs. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's giving blowjobs. Sort of yeah, yeah, or, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so it, it, make, it makes sense. Like it's a, it's a sexually vulnerable position to be Absolutely. in. It's frightening because yeah. of that. And there's an air of eroticism to it because there's an air of eroticism to the xenomorph, obviously. Yeah. And, and that's okay. But what's cool about aliens is that instead of just relying on that, of having this female hero, there's a point made about the guy who's in charge at that point of this unit of soldiers, allowing her to take control yeah. and admitting that he was not yeah. the strong one in yeah. that situation. And I think that's a really healthy thing for me as a young boy. It was really healthy for me to be looking up to Hicks and to be looking at him modeling that behavior that if you don't know the answer, if you're not right, you better fucking listen or you're yeah. not going to make it out. Yeah. Right. And that's something that we still, you know, and again, I'm not going to get into social things, but we still in society deal with yeah. a lot of the time yeah. is not knowing when to listen. Yeah. I, I'm excited to talk about, have our episode about, uh, Ripley and her gender, because I think it's uh, it's something that we haven't really we've touched about here or there. Yeah, um, we've touched about here or there, but we haven't really had a full discussion. And there's a lot I want to talk about because it's it's fascinating. It's really really fascinating. But oh, yeah. um, and, and that that's a whole that's a whole oh, conversation. But, totally. So here we are. I mean, we have our ideas of where we thought maybe it could go, but instead of them opening it up, instead of them saying, "Let's make it about," let's go back to the planet with a new crew or whatever, similar things, or or Scott's idea, um, they decide we're going to go after Ripley, and then they they sort of by accident um, meet James Cameron, Walter Hill, and David Geigel. David Geigel. Good Lord. I can't David Geigel. David Geigel. <laughs> Walter Hill. Walter Hill and David Geiler meet James Cameron. And James Cameron had already written a script called Mother, I believe, at that point. And right. there was very similar. There's a lot of similarities. So we're, we can kind of stop there and kind of right. move well, into. I, and I, I do. I do want to stop there, but before we do, let's just like dial in a little bit to what happens right before that, for, yeah. just for one second, and we'll, we can end on this. So you had this transition to the new ownership, right? And so the movie was kind of on hold, and then in the midst of that, you have Brandywine sue Fox for not distributing the profits of Alien properly. So mm-hmm. already you have this contentious relationship, which I think defines a lot of the things to come in that relationship between mm-hmm. Brandywine and Fox because they are, they're already not doing well, yeah. right? They're already arguing. And in the context of that lawsuit, which was settled in 83, um, you have Fox getting new people on board in leadership and they're excited about it. So they're coming out of this lawsuit. You have Fox again, transitioning leadership. Now they're back into it again. Brandywine is kind of on board. And then Brandywine pitches a movie specifically Guyler pitches it as um, a cross between a couple of films that um, that Hill had made previously, Southern Comfort and The Magnificent Seven. And Fox immediately says, nope, 
we're not interested. So again, Brandy Wine, it's like it's like they're out of the situation for a day. Yeah. And they're like, hey, let's work together. And Fox is like, yeah, yeah. So there we go again. Yeah. And then in the midst of that, uh, Larry Wilson, who was an executive at Fox, came across the Terminator, which had not been shot yet. Right. Cameron at the time was in, I, I you know, I'm going to look up his, is it 47? Was he born? Let's 55. See. 50, 54, actually. 54, so, so at okay. the time, so he was 30, basically. Yeah. Almost, almost 30 at the time, which is crazy to me. Um, he had written the Terminator, and they saw that he could potentially be a good fit for an Alien sequel, and he did this initial treatment, and that's kind of where everything came from. But again, it was taking a shot in the dark on an unproven filmmaker, mm-hmm. and um, and because of this, the the I think it has a lot to do with the movie that he wanted to make, what he wanted to say, the time period in which it was made, where we were as a country and as a world, what we had been through what we were hoping to go to and what we needed commentary on. So it was relevant. It was at the right point in history with the right people in place and the right series of happy accidents lined up to allow this 30-year-old Canadian dude to just jump into the driver's seat, make the Terminator, have the Terminator get delayed long enough to redo the story to Alien yeah. to be able to inc- aliens to incorporate what he wanted to do with Mother and with his Vietnam story. And come out of that period with um, a movie that actually could say something new and relevant and could explode the themes in Alien yeah. and find new themes that suited that time yeah. in a really relevant way. What was great about James Cameron, too, is that, um, and I think a lot of these filmmakers when they were younger, is that they understand what it was like to be poor. They understand what it's like to have mm. friends and to have to work for something and to build something and to create something and the struggle. And that's why these films are so relatable because these directors are at this place in their life where nothing's coming easy to them. And that's why I think the, the, the these other these newer films, even though there might be things that we like in them, they're not as relatable because the people who are making them are millionaires um, and they're being written by millionaires. There's this dialogue. And they're older. Yeah, and these this dialogue with characters are written by people who don't spend time with people who don't make under a million dollars a year. So they don't. Mm. They don't. If you're gonna have, if you're gonna have people who come into the theater to relate to your movies, you're gonna need to be able to relate to them, and that mm. is, and uh, that's the big disconnect I think we're seeing right now in mm. in. Hollywood, as opposed to there's such a, connect, a connection with streaming services, is because you have these smaller, um, these smaller filmmakers who don't have an outlet, and these people like now you have Facebook Watch coming on. Facebook is going to start producing their own content, and they're finding these filmmakers like A24 is taking a risk, and they're saying, "Hey, we like what you're doing, and we're we're interested." God, in A24 is making such an amazing thing for. Hollywood. Yeah. I, I feel like and, we're so lucky that they And they're exist. making films that we're connecting with, you know? And I think yeah. uh the these Hollywood the Hollywood machine, they don't you know, they're not they're not connecting with people like they used to because they're so far removed. And you see that as evidenced in people who watch the Oscars, people who watch the Emmys, people who watch the Golden Globes, those percentages of, of those audiences are just plummeting every year is the new low, the new low. People aren't tuning in because Hollywood cannot relate anymore. And that's the problem. And I'm kind of sorry I'm rambling on a little bit, but that was the genius. No, you're not. But I'm thinking, though, as you're saying that, it, so it's interesting because before the 
the system in which we get the science fiction explosion in the late 70s and early 80s. You had the studio system, right? And to my mind, that was actually probably the least relatable of any era. I mean, that's like the Howard Hughes era. That's when you had these, you know, absolute dynasties of filmmaking that would have these stars on contract that would, you know, put them up in these ivory towers and, you know, they would be completely disconnected from the world. And they would make these movies that were much more sort of presentational and less introspective. You know, by and large, I'm not trying to generalize too much, but... Um, and then you had this wonderful sort of subjectivization of film in the 70s and 80s. And then as the 90s come about, you start seeing an increasing amount of these sort of franchises spawning and the sequelization. And then now we're in the absolute apotheosis of that, right? Yeah. Now Marvel's really era. pushed all that. Marvel has made right. every big studio say, let's do, I mean, Universal was like, let's bring back all the scary shit. And mm-hmm. that didn't work. That, that went great. Flat yeah. Because they didn't right. know what the fuck they were doing. Not right. a clue. But but what's amazing, so here's the thing is that Marvel, and I say this as somebody who, I mean, comic books are a, a very big part of my life, and they have been for most of it. Um, you know, like the idea of reading serialized stories has, has is something that I've, I've always really loved. And I think part of why Marvel has been so successful with the MCU is because this company has been for decades and decades and decades creating complex stories that branch across each other and that fil- that filter through each other totally. and keeping it cohesive and organized. So you can get things like, I mean, one of my favorite things when I'm reading a comic book is when you see, and just, just for like a shadow of a panel, an event that you recognize from another, from a totally, from a Fantastic Four comic you read three yeah. years ago, yeah. you're like, oh shit, that's where this fits together, right? Um, yeah. And Marvel yeah. is, is full of that, right? And and they even, they reference it. Usually when there's something like that that happens, there's a little note with an asterisk that says, see Amazing Spider-Man 384 for yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so so they've been set up to do that. So when you get a company that can, can pull that off that effectively in this multi-universe format, also have control of their intellectual property in the studio system, um, you have basically a perfect storm. Fox doesn't have that. Fox was never born in a in a, a serialized storytelling medium, you know, um, and and none of these other companies were. But because Marvel's been so incredibly successful, everybody's trying to do it. They right? are, and even you have DC, which is a shit show, um, and they're all yeah. over the place. They're producing four movies with four different actors playing the same role, and they're doing we're doing an origin story, but we're giving these people. They're going to play the same characters in a different movie of their own. I mean, DC is fucking all over the map. They can't even get it right. It's like totally, even, too. The, the, yeah. It's like you never know what you're going to see. When you go see a Marvel, an MCU movie, you know what you're going to get. Yes, you and are. it's always yeah. great. Even yeah. if it does, even if, even if you know, it's like there's a reason why people love a sandwich. You know, when you go, to, when you order a sandwich, you're not expecting a fucking transcendent experience with 38 different flavors of meat and 29 you know what i mean like if you go mm-hmm. to a great delicatessen right if you go to like a really good jewish deli and you get a fucking reuben it is like three things and they are done exquisitely well and it delivers yes. on your expectation and it fucking yeah. rocks it and there are slight yeah. variations you toast the bread a little bit you do a little more sauerkraut but you fucking nail it with these yeah. these limited elements and there's nothing shameful in that and i feel like a lot of the time it's easy to harp on the commoditization of this this sort of universe storytelling. A lot of people don't like the fact that Star Wars is dropping installments so frequently. A lot of people lambast Marvel for having such a rigorous production schedule that they're kind of constantly dropping new movies. But the reality is, all, is that yeah, like... There's a lot, yeah, go ahead. There's nothing... It doesn't mean that it's not artistic. And I think it's easy to complain about it and to assume that it's just the sort of, you know, 
non that it doesn't have a soul, but a lot of it does. It's just simple things done really beautifully. Well. Oh yeah, yeah. And maybe that's what Alien needs. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Alien I, I needs Alien Alien needs a, a a structure or or um, a group of people who are there to do that. And so, much like um, uh, a regime change or administration change in in this country, when we get a new president, there's people who are work at the Pentagon who are going to be there to ensure kind of the integrity of our military and our defense systems and all that. And that's mm-hmm. what Fox needs. Fox needs to put people in a place where, okay, we might get a new um, president or whatever, and we might get new executives, but these people are in place to make sure that the properties that are doing well, that are succeeding, stay that way. And they're not doing that. And until they no. can do that, these films no. aren't going to be very successful. Because even, you but know. You know what they should do? What? They should fucking hire us. They should. Let's just do it. This is our we're, we're we're applying for that job, Fox. Well, think about think about Disney and how much Disney has has mined fandom in some ways, like mm-hmm. for talent, for sometimes story ideas. For of course, there's a balance to that. Lots of times, fandom is wrong. But really, what Alien the Alien IP needs right now are committed storytellers, people who are committed to yeah. say, we want to see these people succeed. And the way Fox is doing it isn't working. I mean, the way Fox is doing right. Predator isn't working either because you have to, they're doing the same thing. You know, they're yeah. doing, the, oh, come in here, make this movie. Yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, oh, that was shit. Why is it shit? I know. But you know what? We're, but, but we're in a time of extreme change and that yeah. is when things either go really well or really poorly. So we're going to see. Yeah. You know, it would be a dream come we're, true we're to be on a story group for Alien, the Alien IP. Oh my yeah. God, dream come true. Well, I think There's after so this many... episode, we're gonna. I think they're oh, yeah. they, they're listening. They're oh yeah, this. yeah. They they want that movie. Well, they well, want so Amanda I... to come back. She's gonna bring the survey team. They're gonna be outmatched, right? Right. It's deal. Okay. All right. I, I know we got. I know we got a wrap. Um, we have a lot more coming up in this series, so stay tuned for that. We're gonna be delving into aspects of the production the pre-production of the script, the release, the impact on culture, as Jamie mentioned earlier, whether or not it's overrated, what fans think about it. We're going to have like about 3,000 roundtables. This is a mega series that will be occupying us for the next, you know, Six half months. year probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we'll go straight um, into there's Alien There's other stuff going on this. too, but... Next year's Alien's yeah. 40th anniversary, so it'll be all right. Alien all the time next year. There's so much coming up. We're so fucking yeah. excited. This yeah. has been so fun. I had a great time. Me too. And uh, I can't wait for the next one. All right. 